Chief fans, it's uh, David Leonard here. Next exciting episode. This is part three of the River Restaurant special. I have our first repeat guest. Uh, so, for those of you who listened to our first episode with Captain Mike Whittick of the Stormy Ambulance Corps, Mike's been well. Let's just say Mike joined the Volunteer Fire Service in the seventies. So, uh, what year? Seventy six. Seventy six. So, by the time the River Restaurant came along, he had about a decade of experience, and. Uh, I really wanted to get Mike on to talk about it because M- Mike was one of the people that was intricately involved in the rescue. So, uh, of Michael Epolito, the son of the owner. So, that if you listened last week uh, to my father, he talked about uh, the, the attempt to come in from the side, the tunnel, and that they, they couldn't tunnel in from the side, so the, the second group tunneled in from the top down. Um, Mike was p- part of that team that was tunneling in from the top down. So... It's really weird because I feel like I don't know. Do I introduce you again? Like, how do you how do you, how does this work? What do you I think? I don't know. It's your rodeo, right? I mean, I've never. It's you're you're my first repeat guest, so I don't know if I have to. So repeat, right? Yeah. So, all right. So uh, I'll let Mike give you a, just a quick uh, quick bio again. No, like Dave said, uh, Captain Mike Whittick from the Stormy Animals Rescue Corps uh, joined 1976 and uh, been around since then. All right. So, uh, so Mike, 1985. Or excuse me, 86? 85. 85. Woo. 1985. Uh, at that point, um, you know, you're, you're, were, you, were you an officer then or no? No. No? So I, I got to look and see who was, who the officers were back yeah, then. I'm not sure. But uh, walk, us, walk us through the day. Like, where were you when it came in? When you, when you got there? Like, where did you, you know, you have to remember being volunteers, all these guys showed up, you know. The oddity was my father showing up in the ambulance or in a truck. Most people showed up in their personal vehicles back then. So at that time, um, myself, Tom Finucane, Joe Ampanazzi, we were all working for Sealand Environmental. Uh, we were you know, doing tank entries, cleaning tanks on a daily basis. Uh, that was just what we did, uh, spill cleanups and so on. So we were coming back, I think it was from Stratford, and that's when the explosion occurred. And stuck in a little bit of traffic, uh, you know, it took a little bit to get there. Uh, but obviously, you knew what was going on. You could see the plume. You could see that dust that your that your father mentioned that Doug had talked about. Um, it was it was just odd, you know. Uh, but whatever, we get there and a pile of rubble, fires going on, a lot of chaos, um, mutual aid showing up from everywhere. I, I can remember my Grant and uh, Billy Seward just standing there. Uh, they had their belt caps on. With you know, with their with their long coats and um, but going around and around, uh, you know, we knew that we had victims in there. There were spot fires everywhere, little uh, little pop explosions, if you will, because there's still pockets of gas going in there, and that hampered when we realized that we had people trapped and were going in there. That hampered some of the rescue operations because, you know, you start, you pull out, you start, you pull out, you know, you hear the gas explosions going off, um, but. When we were looking, you know, we we're at one point. I remember shutting down all any machinery that was running because I believe it was Dave Manley 
who was one of the dirty police officers, but he had some construction experience, and he actually commandeered a uh, front-end loader, and he was starting to peel back some of the debris. And um, I remember, you know, we would shut, try to shut down as much equipment as we can to listen. Um, you know, in those days, you didn't have sound listening devices that you could put into a pile, right? Uh, so, you know. Yeah, no, like you, you, again, and one of the things I think I keep going back to is, you know, th- this was obviously almost 40 years ago and how far the technology, I mean, you think about an event like this happening nowadays and the technology that would be brought to it. Oh, yeah. You know, like you said, the listening devices immediately, you know, first thing you, you, I say, you call it a USAR team, yeah. you'd have dogs, you'd have drones, you'd have, you know, you, you'd be, Thermal imaging. right, I mean, so it, this was done by a bunch of, you know, working class schleps back in the 80s. Well, we took what we did on a full-time basis and applied it to our part-time job of firefighting and rescue. Right, and, and that's the other thing is back then, you know, a lot of guys were still in the trades. A lot of guys were still working, you know, with shovels in the ground and stuff like that where you, you don't see that yeah, as it, much now. Like I mentioned Tom and Joe, you, and so we were entering tanks on a daily basis. That that was rare in the fire service at that time, right. you know, but that's what we did. But, you know, so back to, the, to that, we, we shut down some of the noise a little bit, um, and we, we could hear, and, you know, and we kind of pinpointed we could hear screaming. So uh, there was a crew, I, I think there's a couple guys from Derby, a couple guys from Ansonia, and whatever. They tried to get in from um, where the art, I think it was artisan press. Yep. Yeah, so we tried to breach the wall, and um, they had to go, like you mentioned earlier, they, they'd go in, debris would fall, they'd, they'd have to come back out. It was, it was tough going. Um, at that point, I'd come back around to the top of the pile, and we shut down. We could listen again, and I'll I'll never forget the um, the screams um, from from Mike. The, um, you know, he was screaming that he was burning, and um, you know, we were trying to figure out what was going on. So, I ironically, those screams helped us pinpoint him. You know, put us almost we believe to be on top of him, and um, we determined later that. You know, he was screaming that he was burning, but we figured it was uh, probably steam or you know some hot water from from the fire lines that were trying to put out the fires right. at the same time. So we got on top and uh, we you know as best we could, and we started tunneling down, tunneling you, down. You, you keep saying we. Me, uh, I remember Finucan was there. I think Jimmy Salamarco was there. Uh, Joe Antonazzi. You, you know, again, we were all lo- working locally. Uh, There's a few other guys, and you know, I can't remember them all. Uh, but I, I remember those guys, you know, uh, vividly. And so I started tunneling down and, you know, moving some bigger debris, bigger debris. And I, I started getting, like, into a rabbit hole, if you will. Um, you know, getting narrower and narrower. But at one point... You're, I, but you're, when you say tunneling, you're hand digging. I'm hand, Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm literally on my knees. I first started on my knees, and I grabbed something, I'd hand it back. I'd grab something, I'd hand it back. Before I know it, I'm thigh deep in this hole upside down. Um, you know, shoulder width apart, and I can remember uh, handing cups and saucers, um, like like they fell off a shelf, and I I would just I kept handing them back. I'd hand them back up, back up, and and I can't remember who was, I think it was Fanukin grabbing them, and we just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and then you know, we, based on his voice and our contact with him, we realized that we're we're in the right spot. We're on top of him, and as I mentioned. We worked for Sealand at the time. We would do tank entries, and our air supply was a uh, portable, you know, 
an air compressor in a cage. We would plug it in. That would be our main supply for air, and then we would have the escape bottles. So we had the idea of we called the van back because that was on Derby Ave at the time. We called the van back. And I remember I was afraid I was going to get in trouble from my boss, but we cut the, you know, they have the quick connect ends. I remember snipping the end off, and we snaked the hose down through the debris, and we were just pumping, trying to pump fresh pump air. Fresh air. Yeah. Um, so what we were doing that while we are working, and then I can remember, um, I believe it was a refrigerator or, or, you know, some big white, like a, like a refrigerator-type box. And that was pinning or preventing us from gaining complete access to him. And the two tools I remember using was a better airbag and a bottle jack. I remember using a bottle jack sideways and pumping it and moving some of the debris. And then that, um, that actually gave us, uh, we were able to see his hand. And, and that was our first physical contact with him. So once we got there, we cleared up a little bit. And then at that point, I think I'd been upside down for like an hour. <laughs> so we, we rotated out and um, just kept removing the debris, removing the debris, cutting, pushing what we needed to push. And uh, eventually we got him out of there. And, and how, do you remember how long? Oh, boy. I, I, I want to say in excess of an, uh, like a couple hours, yeah. Yeah, it, like three to four hours? Uh, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Um, because it was... It was daylight when we made contact with him, and it was dark. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, when we got him out, you know. Uh, and now, like, again, 1985, we we didn't have caches of equipment like we do now. Oh no, no. you know, m- m- I mean, you think about the limited equipment we carry on the rescue. I'm sure it was even less back then. Uh, it was brains and brawn, more brawn than brains, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it, like I said, a bottle jack. Bottle jack was our best friend at that point. It was small. I can get it into tight spots, crank it, push something back, wedge something in it to hold it open. You know, it was it was a flipped version of, of shoring, if you will. You know, until we can get him out. So how did you how did you get him out? We ended up just I think slip, slipping a board down and, and you know like you do in a wreck uh, pin job. You, you you get him out as best you can and, and you you got him out. Yeah. And then after you pulled him out, at that point, did you guys like were you you know? Aware that there was nobody left, you know, or... we were pretty confident that at that point, it, anything that any contacts we made were going to be a recovery and not a rescue. Now, uh, one of the things I talked about too was the fact that, well, you know, some of the, the victims were related to one of the members of the storms. Pogo, yeah. yeah. Were you, you know, were you guys aware at that point of, of all that, or we, we, you know, had knowledge, we didn't know who and where. You know, um, we found out pretty quick. It was, you know, yeah. It was so, yeah, I mean, I, I had the, the opportunity to speak with, with uh, Pete, you know, and I mentioned it that that uh, that we were doing the podcast, we were doing the episode, and he, he thanked me and said, you know, it's, it's nice that people don't forget and uh, that it, it keeps the memory alive. And I, I just think, you know, the, the, the fact that you guys, like you said, it, back then it was just brawn and you guys just tunneled and, and you know, bottle jacks and, and – really improvising the whole thing and being able to pull him out of that hole is just such a, a tremendous you know rescue effort for the for even nowadays yeah it was uh, tenacity uh, you know just teamwork amongst all the guys there um you know you know yourself even this they just the desire to get the job done and then when, when you know it's one of your own um you know you have that you, you get amped up a little bit on that now did you guys have problems with the fire because i know that that's we had to keep we had to stop periodically we had to like cease all operations because things were popping and burning here and there um, at that point later in the evening it wasn't so much as like an open burning 
fire. It was, you know, pocket fires here and there. And then how long did you stay on scene? Well, I stayed there probably till like wee hours in the morning. Um, I shot home. Uh, I hadn't been home yet from, from work all day. I shot home, took, you know, shower. The great days before cell phones, right? Yeah. You, you couldn't yeah, text exactly. and say, hey, I'm on a... <laughs> I'm a yeah. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then back at it, you know. And then and at that point, it was just, um, you know, basically peeling back the rubble and, and you know, keeping things wet so they didn't light up and so on. And, um, you know, and doing the rest of the recovery efforts, which, you know, that didn't happen quickly. You know, we, we had a... Piecemeal right, took, it took back. several days. It, it did. We, as, you know, it's uh, dump a box of matches on the ground and try to pick one out of the bottom. You okay. can't, you know. And now when when you were arriving, you know, like what point did you get a full view of the scene? Oh, Route 8. Yeah, okay, so well, you came. Oh, yeah, coming down Route 8, you looked right over and you just, it was right there in your face. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was like. You know, Where'd you park? Holy shit! <laughs> you know? yeah. Where did you? Do you remember? I, I think I parked at Caroline Street. Yeah, somewhere near the lumberyard. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So. And then ran up. Yeah, because like you know, you said earlier, the, the pockets. I remember seeing the archways and and you know, what was was exposed after that. Now, how do you how do you think if if a similar incident happened today, how do you think it would go? Do you think that we've I hate to say we've built too much of a system. So I get you, you're to coin one of your phrase, the freelancing. Um, there was a lot of controlled freelancing. Yeah, but that was that. <laughs> but, the, but that's but, how you rolled. Right. But in the you know in the eighties, incident command really wasn't a, a thing like it is nowadays. You didn't really, you know, it, it was the norm to to operate that way. Yeah, yeah, kind of. You're, you're right. It was. You know, there was no no. I don't want to say there was no command structure. There was command structure, but you know, everybody back then, everybody knew you, know, you knew who the players were. You knew what you had to do, and you just did it. And and that that was that. There was that yeah. And I mean, like and right, we always had good guys. You trusted everybody. You know, that's the thing. Right now, I'm I'm painfully sitting through the NIMS three four hundred curriculum, and <sighs> obviously, the whole time, this is ringing in the back of my mind because I think about. You know, you know the nowadays the the paperwork giant that would be an incident like this, and what would be required in operational periods, and and are you filling out the right forms and and all that, you know. And I think uh, another thing too about it is we 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 mentioned the USAR team, but those things don't happen immediately. You know, a lot of a lot of departments put this. Oh, if something happens, we're just going to call USAR. Yeah. Right. Or, or, you know, and there are a lot of departments that have a, in their mind, oh, well, if this happens, well, we're just going to call these guys. But people, a lot of, you know, I feel like people set themselves up for failure because they're not prepared for that first, you know, two hours of operating we, on their own. We were digging before any USAR team would have even been mobilized. Right. Because, yeah. I, I mean, so for those of you, if you're listening out of state, Connecticut has its an in-state USAR team. It's not a federal team. It's just a state team. But it's headquartered in, in Hartford, Connecticut, the state's capital. So from from Derby to, to Brainerd Airfield is you know especially on a Friday at Christmas time in rush hour traffic it you know it would have been an, an hour and twenty minute ride to get those assets down here yeah um you know and I know again we you guys lucked out because of the relationship we had with the New Haven Fire Department so uh, Chief Grant and Chief Seward were there you know very quickly with with uh, guidance and and 
nowadays, I think that would probably be one of the things too. You'd see us immediately if we had an incident like that. Obviously, we'd we'd mobilize the valley. You know, fortunately, I think one of the things nowadays we're much better at is asset our resource location. You know, if we had an incident like that now, getting shoring, getting heavy equipment. Yeah. You know, now I think and we've we're got much more aware of the, of those needs of those too. needs yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I just I think about the machine that an operation like that would be. Yep. Now. And you mentioned like Mike and Billy from, from New Haven. It was nice having, the, you know, they weren't on the pile. They were on the on the street side, um, but they they were looking back, fresh set of eyes. You know, look out for that. Watch for this. How about this? How about that? And that was a huge help because you know you you get that no television. You right. get you know you get those blinders on. You know? Right. And you're bringing. I mean, at that at that point, their experience level. You know, it was, it was through the roof. I mean, they were day in and day out at the school of New Haven, so that you, you really couldn't have got two better, you know, candidates to come up to for yeah. that for that moment. And and you know, when I tell you the story about the like the guys digging through the wall on the side and us getting to the top, you know, that I said that in a matter of five minutes, but it, it wasn't five minutes. It it was uh, painstaking. It was frustrating. At times, we could hear him screaming, and you know, like I said, you're. You just want to get in there, but you don't know where to go, you know. So that that was there's a lot of angst in that, whatever I'd say hour before we were able to really pinpoint and, and you know get over hover over and start digging down. Now I don't uh, shot in the dark here, but what was it like for the next couple like days weeks uh, around the firehouse and around town? Because again, it was a, a, a you know, and, and I can't even say around town. I'd say around the valley because you know we know Aunt Sonia, the Shortle family was was obviously uh, devastated by this you know what what was it like around here after that that, that explosion t- touched so many people in so many different ways whether it be you know on a minor level of like oh man we were going to have our christmas party there to jesus that was the mother of one of our guys you know and and then the other people in the valley we all knew him i mean pop short you know we he worked gripping hospital at nights as an orderly and you know so it touched everybody in in some way and then you know, until the, the, the investigation came out, you know, all the chatter about the gas leaks and stuff going on and, and all that. It was just, uh, it was somber, you know, yeah, to say the least. Yeah, because I, I, it's, uh, talking to Joe about it a couple of weeks ago, Joe actually told me that Len, uh, Len had lunch there that day because it, he worked at Farrell's, the Iron Foundry. Oh, that's right, yeah, down, he, right down the street. Right down the street. And he said, like, you know, at lunch, they used to all walk up and get pizza yep. real quick there. Yeah. So and, and like you mentioned in your earlier podcast, Main Street back then, right? Was, it was it was jamming. It, it was it nothing like it is now. I mean, not I mean, we're we're kind of turning the corner there, but uh, man, it was there was anything you needed, you got on Main Street. Now, you know? now thinking about the Main Street area, I mean, so you had the River Restaurant on Caroline and Main. On the other side of Caroline and Main, you had the Pioneer Bowling Alley. Were you there for that fire? No. No, was that before you? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yep. And then how my about next, my next would be Interstate Florist. Okay, up and around the corner. Up and around the corner. Yeah. yeah. How about Halleck? Were you there? Yeah. I was, yeah. Halleck. Halleck. Yeah. That's, I, I, you that's know, us on the. Well, right. I, yeah. I have to tell you that. So you know, everyone knows my grandfather was a, a was a fire was a fire photographer for the local paper, and he did all the breaking news photography. Those two pictures of the loading dock are probably my two of my favorite pictures yep. that he ever took. You know, and, uh, Joe and I, we left the school late that night. We drove past it, and we we actually saw wisps of smoke. But we thought it was the the Chinese restaurant next door, 
and didn't think anything of it. We're at Harn Johnson's was open at the time. We would sit there and have coffee a little late in the evening, and then lo and behold, that that comes out of the work of fire. We get there, place was ripped. Yeah, that was a, it. Was, a, it was everybody ended up with permatex all over their coats? Right, because it yeah. was a furniture. It was a warehouse, right? A furniture store. Yeah, it, well, hard, hardware, furniture, everything. You name it. Yeah. yeah. So that was right around the corner. Yeah. Um. Literally one block away. One block yeah. away. Yeah. So I'm. I mean, you know, like again, the valley has seen as we we talked about the river restaurant. We talked about Hull Die. Yeah. Um. You know, you were you were in for that, right? Hull Die. Yep. Yep. I came in the year after BF. BF was seventy five. Yep. You know what's actually funny about Hull Die is I said to my mother one time. That I remember going to the whole die fire, and my mother says there's no way because the whole die fire was in 1980, and I, she's like you you're too young, and I said to my mother I could tell you how I know, I remember that we walking down North Ave and Chris Robinson carried me and then she says to me oh my God you're right she's like Chris Robinson and us walked down, so I said to her, I, I actually remember going to that you know and, and I maybe it was a traumatic event because we, there was such a big fire and we had to yeah. evacuate and go to my grandparents but I I do you know remember that. Um, and, and I'm not saying other towns have experienced the same oh, thing. We, but but right, back we, then, we'd have we'd have a you know multiple alarm fire. It seemed like every month. Right. You know, I, I joke I call it redevelopment. But Sons of Italy near behind the post office. I remember that burnt on a hot hazy night. Um, you know, there's just Caroline Street. We had some good ones. Yeah, the, I you know I I think another little featurette I might do on Caroline Street. Uh, we had a we had a fire in Derby in 1991. It was a, a large you know old style New England row house. It was ordinary construction. It would it would claim the lives of a mother and two children, and it, it but it it was I, I you know not to say it was a pun but it was a firefight like you you guys that were, we're there trying that to make day. the second floor to where they were right and the staircase was burned out from right because the fire started in, in the basement and and you know again another time where you guys made a Herculean effort to, to make a push, um now that we got a little off to, off topic yeah, sorry that's right it happens, uh closing thoughts on the river what what. Oh, I, you know, for guys in my generation, we'll never forget it. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with you that at some point, maybe after the, after it's all done up down there, that we should put some type of memorial there. Um, you know, those people gave their lives to the Valley. I think we owe it to them not to forget them and to educate the, the younger folks coming up or whoever. Just, you know, this, this is part of our history. Just like you see the plaques from the 55 flood. Here's the water level from the 55 flood. You know that was that was a catastrophic event for us here, um, not as you know m- catastrophic as the flood, obviously, but important to us here locally. All right, so uh, Mike, thank you for being my first repeat. My pleasure. So, and uh, you're still not my first real guest, though. Yeah, well, that was we'll that, talk about that. Later. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, no, I'm no you know chief though. You know. <laughs> he he's a ringer. You know, yeah. you got You got to bring in that's, ringers. You know, that's all right. So. The first guy I brought in was more like a test to see if I could figure this out. Then yeah. I then I had yeah. to start bringing, you know. So uh, so thanks for listening, everybody. Next week will be our final episode on the river. So a couple more guys that I got coming on, they're going to uh, touch on it. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel, uh, feel free to shoot me an email. And until next week, have a great night.